0: So when I go to Starbucks, I usually, if I'm meeting someone, I sit down, I don't buy a coffee because, or, or maybe I do if they're a little bit late, or maybe I wait, like if I want to impress them with, hey, how you doing? Can I get your coffee? Wait to ha- to buy them a coffee when I get my coffee kind of thing, well, right?
1: Well, it's feeling a bit meta because like, it took me, as you're describing that, it took me back about 20 years. We would go to Starbucks every Thursday morning. And just sit there because we didn't have an office, so we would just invite other people to our Starbucks to come and meet us. And one cup of coffee, you could rent an office all day long. You could
0: stretch it out for it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Do you remember ever, ever, ever being asked to leave?
1: No, no, me neither. And and we were there all day long. This is a podcast where two old friends, both Canadian, one black and one white, and both men, explore what it looks like to adopt the mindset of an inclusive society. Instead of asking, how do we get there, Jake and Chris discuss, what does it look like to act as if we're already there? Welcome to The Disorienting Dilemma.
0: A couple of years ago, obviously, I'm sure you remember in Philadelphia, uh, these yes, two black yeah. men. Yeah, right? So this, this story hit the news. It was enormous. A barista doing what they thought they should do, asked the folks to leave. They said they were waiting for someone. The police got involved. I don't think anybody was arrested or anything like that, but there was a confrontation of sorts. Mm. It became a big thing on social media. And so Starbucks, obviously, if anybody doesn't remember this, I don't know what you were doing, because this like occupied the news cycles in in the United States anyways for about a week Mm. or more. Um, was it as big in Canada? I can't remember. I think. Yeah,
1: we 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 heard about it here too. And it, it was a pretty big moment. But I think about that moment and how not just upsetting, but how terrifying that may have been. You know, it's one thing to call the police. But if those folks have had previous interactions with police that haven't gone well, or maybe just believing that a police encounter could end in death. Yeah. Right. This is, um, it, yeah. it certainly ratchets up the, uh, I'm sitting here. Hanging out, waiting for a friend or doing whatever they were doing. And the next thing you know, the police are there. Really, that phone call is, uh, is an important decision in that story. If yeah. it goes badly.
0: Yeah. I was trying to imagine when I first heard the story, if somebody had said, you have to leave until you get a coffee, I probably would have said, well, I'm just explained it. And if they didn't take that explanation, I wouldn't know what to do. And if the police came through, I think what world are we living in like what why did you have to call the police it just would seem like an unnatural escalation and that's me as a white guy with all of my privilege being completely disoriented but unfortunately in this area of philadelphia african americans are disproportionately stopped by police because it was in the city uh, center city neighborhood more Mm -hmm. than uh, anywhere else i guess this is what one of the reports according to the washington post anywhere else in the united states which i thought was crazy so like you're saying there had to be some learned responses on on everybody's side right some automatic settings that just started to click in yeah and i can't imagine what that would have been like to experience that in that way obviously
1: where where, where did that all uh all end up well i mean it, i remember that part of the story but i don't remember the resolution yeah well starbucks
0: obviously the ceo kevin johnson issued a statement he apologized but he wanted to go a little bit further. So he decided, look, we have 8,000 stores in the US. So on, I think it was May 29th, the end of May or something like that, 175,000 employees were gonna go through implicit bias training or unconscious bias training. And for many people, this is the first time they heard the phrase. That phrase has been around for a while, but this is the first time it was front and center. And that was a big deal. Starbucks closing all of their stores I mean I think they're open on Christmas Day for Pete's sake.
1: So it was pretty big. Yeah, well, eight what'd you say 8,000 stores and yeah, they closed eight, on one day? One day for an afternoon. Yeah. Did it change anything?
0: Well, uh, well it's interesting. They 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 were looking to prevent discrimination in the stores. I thought a couple of things were interesting about that. One were Canada, they? Canada followed suit. Well, I I guess that's what they said in the statement, right? So cuz they did Obviously, they did not want to be in the news right. again about this. But what was interesting is how many people who are baristas are from the Black community and still went through this training. I mean, it, it was it was just interesting. But the question was that everybody had, will it work? Will implicit bias training for four hours on a Thursday afternoon, whatever it was, will
1: will that solve the problem? So I, I have no idea how how it went. I actually hope that it had some impact, but I, my gut, tells me that it probably didn't. I mean, it feels like just the way you you framed that up—more of a reaction than a response. Mm. So something yeah. that is quick, quickly cobbled together. We will do something. We will take a swift and decisive action. We will educate. Yeah, yeah. we'll close everyone down. It's not dissimilar. It's to you know these one and done trainings that we. We throw at folks, and we hope it sticks. It comes from the right place. Before we jump on sort of equity, diversity, and inclusion kind of training programs or anything like that, we do this with basic life safety programs, too. Lots of businesses will have a one-day workshop in um, first aid. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, uh, first aid, yeah, it used
0: to be CPR or something CPR, like that. CPR, right? first get, yeah,
1: aid. Yeah. And you throw everyone in the class for an eight hour session. And then you hope like hell you never, ever need it.
0: <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, never right? so you never
1: want to use it. so you never want to use it. The problem is you never use it so that when you need it, it's gone. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, uh, th- we freeze up. We don't know what to do. Right. Even though we have that nice certificate on the wall, yeah. we we haven't moved it from that sensory memory place through our short-term encoding it to our long-term memory yeah. so that it's there for recall. Like if I meet, meet you for the first time, I say, Hey, my name's Jake. And you say, Hey, it's Chris. In my mind, the next few seconds, I'm going, Chris, 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 I do the same thing. I try to use it though a couple of times, you know what I mean, Chris, you know, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to encode that. So it's there for my recall. The next time I see you, it's right there. I'm not going to purge this. Right. Uh, I wonder if that's what we do to, to remember a name, Mm -hmm. if we go through this process to try and encode it in so it's there so we can recall it later, it doesn't sound like that process is there in a one and done training. Like, what is the sustained commitment to constantly rehearsing so that it actually becomes a bit of that second nature so that you're just going there automatically?
0: Yeah, because you want the information. I I did talk to some, my my sister actually is a manager at Starbucks and she went through it. Okay. And she said it was incredibly insightful. Like, just, just knowing about this is really interesting. But it's a bit like learning about, like you were saying, uh, first aid. Or nutrition without ever changing any of your behaviors yeah. around what you buy, how you prepare your food, what you eat. Do you go to the gym? Just knowing about it
1: doesn't make you healthier. Well, no, because I, I think you're right. Because in in knowing, especially around this subject matter, you can't assume that we're starting with a blank slate. Yeah, there is that's actually a, a ton point. of unlearning that has to happen. Yeah. So unlike first aid. I might be going to that session that first day, not knowing anything about how to reset a dislocated shoulder. That's all new learning.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. But we're wrestling with this. Like, again, this is why I wonder about the effectiveness of a four hour or a five hour or one day event, because what process have you put in place to help people do unlearning? What space have you freed up so that they can, learn a different way, have yep. a different perspective, experience the world. Mm-hmm. It's a really complex thing to throw at someone in a half day, but Ooh. I get why people would do it.
0: Yeah, I, think it's a, I think it's an important part of the process. And so just backing up for everybody listening, who's thinking, okay, I think I know what you mean by implicit or unconscious bias. Let, let's just unpack that a little bit here and then talk about what else would we need to address this issue? So first of all, this kind of bias, it refers to the attitudes or stereotypes that affect our understanding, our actions, just even the kind of decisions you make that are gut automatic. You don't even think about them, right? So think about um, a bird flying by your head. Before you know what it is, the approximate distance of it or anything, your body is just, boom, moving out of the way. And then you look up and think, oh, it's just a bird. It's not a big deal. But you didn't consciously think any of that. It's pre-conscious thought. So that's, Basically, what this training is meant to address. So, the training can tell you that it's there, how it works. The training can even explain that it's universal, that we have a bias towards our in group versus our out group. Your in group of people who share a lot of identity markers that you have same skin color, same education, social economic standing, background, language. And the closer you get in these circles of identity with somebody else, went to the same school, grew up in the same street the More you share an affinity for them and being in your in group, but your out group, you don't automatically have that. And we, unfortunately, our bias is to
1: be suspicious of our out groups, it's just hard, hardwired in. I think that's right. As you're, as you're talking about that, I, I think about how we meet the new guy at work or new person when they come in for the first time, <laughs> right? Size right? We start sizing them up yeah. hey, what'd you do? Where'd you go to school? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, all the great. types of questions that we're asking, we're trying to feel out how close are they to us? Yeah. yeah. And then we can get right. to the, where'd you go? Oh, me too. I went there too. <laughs> Did you know that? Oh my God. I love that too. And then, so later when I'm vouching for you, you're going to meet Chris. He's a good guy. Right. Right. And so now, now I can create an in because I can now say he's a good guy because he went to this school. And we just start to do some sense-making of that bias that we don't really think about. It's just in the background, but we're trying to make it, all line up line, into to, those good normal, categories. Yes, exactly. Right?
0: Yeah. It, it's interesting when I, obviously you do a lot of presentations, I do presentations yeah. as well, and and we do talk about implicit or unconscious bias in our work, because when we do employee volunteering with companies, you tend to go to places and meet people that you are unfamiliar with, like a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen, that kind of thing. And so when I'm talking, i I'm, and I'm curious to see if you've had this experience too, uh, you're talking about implicit and conscious bias you talk about it's normal it's the way it's the evolution of humanity over the past ten hundred thousand years whatever it is this is just the way everybody's brain works and there are good reasons why our brains work this way but invariably somebody will raise their hand and go well I'm not like that like I don't I don't see those people I, as my out group I don't I don't see them as not as much like me. Um, so I always offer an implicit association test uh, that was developed by some folks at Harvard. And it, it's very interesting. I, have you, you haven't taken that test. You've done other ones similar to it, right? That's right.
1: No, I haven't. taken. I've done other ones similar to it, but I haven't done that one.
0: When you talk about this with people, do you ever get that kind of pushback? Like, oh, Jake, I don't see people as my outgroup or less human than me. They're all... They just don't see the world that way. They don't see color even.
1: Oh, yes. No, I, I, no, uh, 100%. I'm sorry, I to walk you right up
0: to Jake, have you ever heard anybody say, oh, man, Yeah, no, I absolutely
1: color. do. And I'm like, isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. For me, this, I mean, even processing that interaction when someone says, mm oh, that's not me. I don't see color. I don't see race or, or all of those kind of things to process that. I start to think through, um, a little bit of Lewis Robinson's work on, um, skill acquisition and mastery and, and, and that conscious competence model. So it starts off, it's a four tier model that starts with unconscious incompetence. And hmm. so when someone's so it allows me yeah. you know really i shouldn't be doing this to other people i should be using this as a self check in but the f- person who comes up and says that to me i can automatically put them on the first step on that chart which would mean what that says i uh, unconscious incompetence you don't know what you don't know oh oh so so I don't, wait so someone someone
0: says hey jake man you don't have to worry i don't see color i'm not like everybody else you put I them in that, that category
1: yeah i believe that i believe that to be true because I believe they're that
0: incompetent un- at an unconscious level. They have at no. At an idea.
1: unconscious level, but we we engage in these kind of ways, and we start to move through the steps to. There is this light bulb disorienting dilemma moment where you're like, "Oh my oh, wait god! A yeah. <laughs> wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Now I'm conscious about my incompetence. Right. I don't know anything. I I could be really harmful. I can hurt people. Yeah. And so. In that moment, where we keep that sustained commitment to change and to learning and to growing, and and that stimuli to new experiences, where I'm making new memories and forging these new neural pathways, and I'm I'm being shifted not just on a personal and principled level, but actually on a physiological level, I'm changing. Right. I'm encountering the world differently. I'm starting to work toward conscious competency. Okay. I have to think about it. I know what I have to do, but it's not mastery You yet. kind of have to
0: walk it through. I got to work so, it. Like when I learned to drive, I had to think about absolutely everything. And now when I drive, I don't even remember getting home sometimes.
1: In 12 step programs, it's called working the steps, right? You got to keep working it. You got to keep working it. until you, get to that space of unconscious competence.
0: Okay. So let's, let's just for everybody following along, scribbling notes, furiously, unconscious Incompetence and can we? Competence sounds like a bad word, though, Jake. I don't think that's how this is. Like you're not even competent. That's not what we're talking about. Or it's is not it?
1: like no. I don't. Well, the word I would like to use is stupid. But there, that's not. I've not seen a model Yeah, we. Can. <laughs> <laughs> uh, th- so, so there are other models that you that have built on this work over time. Uh, some talk about, I think, the novice. Uh, the journeyer. See, that's nice. The master. That's yeah. Right.
0: But yeah. let's stick with the more scientific version.
1: But the, but the, the, yeah. So they they build through their different tags and and terms, uh, thrown on these uh, these steps. But yeah, the un- an unconscious incompetence is that it is a bit. Why I like that is it's a bit clumsy. Okay. You don't know what you don't know. You actually can cause harm. Yeah. And it aligns with. Uh, but I didn't mean to. I believe that too. Oh, when people yeah, tell me, yeah, yeah. "I didn't mean to do that," I didn't mean that to okay, be offensive. Okay, that's great. It gives me a you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. You, okay, I see that because you're unconscious so, and you don't have in- the competencies you need to deal with this. You're right now. you're incompetent. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Got it.
1: In all of the weight of when I want to say that, I don't say it. Really, like I say, this shouldn't be, we shouldn't use this tool uh, for other people, but it's a great tool to evaluate our own journey.
0: And would you, okay, so we're talking about it in terms of how we relate to other people, other groups, other ways of thinking in the world, these four right. levels, and the first one versus um, other applications. So we're just going to stick with this one. The first level is unconscious incompetence. The second level is conscious incompetence.
1: Yeah. Sorry, right? Okay. Uh, I'm aware, right? This. I mean, some people call it, this is that woke stage. Right, This is where you're just starting to figure out, you mean everyone doesn't experience the world the same way I do? Wow. I have caused harm to people just by existing in these power systems and structures. You start to get the language, you bump into it, but you don't know how to work it. But you're suddenly aware that maybe maybe the world's not uh, as fully just and and people are experiencing it the same way. Okay.
0: I like that I like that it's woke but it's kind of the it sounds like the stage of woke where I just woke up and I haven't brushed my teeth I got gunk yeah. in my eyes I'm not dressed for work and I'm a bit disoriented but I'm not sleeping anymore.
1: No, it's like uh when your mom comes in the room and says you're going to miss the school bus and you're awake <laughs> <laughs> you got 5 minutes to get downstairs. Oh. And it's that that you're awake.
0: You're he's woke but he's a hot mess. hot mess. <laughs> okay.
1: Okay, and the next level, conscious competence. It's this is you're putting in work, okay, uh, you know what you need to do, uh, but you still have to think about it. you're you're really digging in and uh it, but I, I think this is the this is the commitment. this is the practice. this is repetition, repetition, repetition.
0: So it's not automatic. It's a lot of hard work. You're forcing yourself to think about it. and I, for listeners again, I just want to say the brain resists new neural pathways the brain does is trying all the time to be as efficient as possible so learning happens but it's hard work and if it's not necessary we you know yeah let's get out of this situation and this somebody told me they're in the dei field and they said one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is diversity fatigue people get to this state they didn't break it down like this but they get to the stage of they get past woke and they want to do something about it, but it's just such a tough slug and they keep making mistakes and are embarrassed and, wow. and they want to pull out. Right. should try to
1: try oppression on for, <laughs> for uh, if, if the work, of, sorry, <laughs> but if the work of allyship is hard, no, you, that's you, fair. Should, you should, you should, should be on my side. shoes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That is a bit, I'm thinking of all the things I shouldn't say right now. Yeah, that's you're right. That that's fair. You know, try try on the other shoe. Okay, so but you said there're four levels.
1: The, the, yeah, I think this is sometimes that that stage that gets called mastery from novice to mastery or okay. or this idea of skill acquisition that you've got it. How do you know you've got it? I actually don't ever think we get it. So this is where we try to not to make the analogy walk and talk and okay. be everything for, but I, because I don't think it's built just for this conversation. I think this, th- th- this model works here, but this is where it starts to fall down because the danger is in arriving. The, I know it all yep. is the worst kind of yep. woke. It is the virtue signaling jerk. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, it, and a, I used a, to be a
0: nice and now I figured it out. Let me help you with my best. Yeah. yeah.
1: So I, I think actually a really comfortable place to to get to is somewhere between C and D. That you're con or uh, are three and four. These two steps mm-hmm. is that you're uh, you're you're consciously competent and you know the things. But as you're working, there are some things that are happening in the background. Yep. there are some se- you know things that are happening that you're not thinking about. Yep. And maybe at first they start to surprise you as to how far you've come, but it's important not to, not to rest on that. Keep going, keep going. Yep.
0: Yeah. That fits. I've never thought about this before, but that model that you've explained and you've, I remember you talking to me about it before, but we've not spent much this much detail with it and applying it in a situation like this, but, um, It's all repetition.
1: Just trying to, trying
0: to encode it for that. I appreciate (laughs) it. So I don't lose my first aid training here. (laughs) but that that those four steps do align nicely with diagrams that i've seen and research i've seen on uh how neural pathways grow in your in your brain so first you're you're kind of confronted with a challenge to the way you see the world which opens you up to curiosity and then you you form some new hypotheses for what may be true and then you go to the real world and test it and then you discuss it. You talk about it with other people process. It makes sense. And then you, you do the circle again. So you're right. instead of like a progressive with a destination on the end, it feels more like this is a circular process I'm always engaged in. And whenever I realize, oh, there might be a blind spot here. You pull that into the cycle to challenge it and see, Mm -hmm. to try and be thoughtful about your your bias because i'm full of implicit bias you are as well everybody listening to the show is but the worst thing about implicit or unconscious bias is you can never see it when you look at it just by yeah. looking at it it becomes invisible you you, you never know it's at play so you always justify your actions afterwards with rational reasons but those were not the triggers that initiated the behavior in the first place typically they may have been yeah. contextually true but the hardwire pre-conscious thought is a layer underneath.
1: Yeah, 100%. I I think we've been talking a lot about it as an individual journey. And the part that I really value about work that we do sort of with this uh, restorative approach or this approach that takes and pays attention to the uh, relationships between folks is that we have other people who can give us some insight. They can give us feedback. They can help us learn. They can help make sense of the world. So we're not stuck trying to figure this all out on right. our own. Yeah, We have a that's community. Important. There is something really cool happening with the work group, with that whole group of folks who are going and experiencing it together. Yeah, And when you're talking about, we're talking to each other, we're constantly, that feedback loop is constantly teaching too. So I think that's, that's a missing part of that diagram because it's, it assumes a whole bunch of individuals, but really we're all connected relational beings.
0: Yeah, and shared experience is profoundly effective in growing and strengthening new neural pathways. If you want to know more about neural pathways, neuroplasticity, neural genesis be sure to check out some of the show notes but also in the show notes is a, a link to a um, article that i think underscores what you just said and the name of the article in harvard business review is why diversity programs fail it's a couple of years old mm-hmm. but the authors say they conclude this the positive effects of diversity training rarely last beyond a day or two and a number of studies suggest that it can activate bias or spark backlash which is mm-hmm. If you look at neuroscience and, and a lot of the studies around contact theory, social identity theory, uh, and some of the behavioral sciences, it's interesting because it they basically say what you just said, Jacob, which is you can learn it. But after a few days, unless you're doing it all the time, it's going to evaporate, right? Unless you have a reason to practice, to put the knowledge into play, to test the veracity of the idea.
1: Yeah. There's a whole lot of good intentions that evaporate. I don't want to be too cynical. I do hope that some of it sticks. I do hope that, you know, as, as people went through the training, they were really, really hyper focused, that maybe they had one takeaway. And maybe in the four hour session, one thing they left with one thing that has has managed to get over that hump and has been encoded. And it's now in their long term that they can actually grab and use. And maybe there is a slight shift, but I don't think it's going to be the huge culture shift that folks want to see in terms of a corporate change uh, in way of working and way of being and way of interacting just from one training. Right.
0: Which brings us to the kind of work that we do uh, on my end with employee volunteering, uh, the one and done transactional approach. You go out for one day and do four hours. And people hold that up and say, you know, that's going to help with employee sentiment. It's going to make people happier. It, it, and they're not wrong. It will for a couple of days. A bit like, yeah. you know, let's go get pizza and beer and take the afternoon off. Out of the office that is a fun thing to do and it does feel good to go out and do that but the kinds of things you're talking about which is progress through unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence to conscious competence to that transformative level what was the fourth level one more time the unconscious competency the unco- okay so unconscious competency is when it's then the neural pathway is so strong you've replaced the automatic setting now the here's the bad news the hardwiring you got when you were young it's never really going to go away that is that stuff Uh is so strong you can override it but left to our own devices we revert (laughs) and in fact this is one of the things they say about this uh training stereotypes are self-strengthening so if you never challenge them and never talk about them they just become stronger throughout your entire life so the only way to do it is to consciously tear pick away at the strength of that bias and replace it with something new which is
1: I think what that fourth level is all about to that point about things get hardwired and rarely, and you know, you can rarely get away. I, I think it gives us some really important insights into the experience of trauma too. So yeah. particularly when you are going and and volunteering in certain places and encountering folks and wondering, well, I wonder what that person's deal is. It's probably a better question to, to start thinking about what may have happened to them there may be trauma experiences that have caused them to that's, react or to uh, act act out or engage with you in particularly helpful or harmful ways it, because they've learned they've learned how to navigate the world in these ways and there's some hard wiring right.
0: yeah so it brings us to the name of this podcast the orienting dilemma this is the moment we, we can interrupt the unconscious bias by creating a space where people are forced to reconcile their current experience with their automatic settings,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. which we don't even know. We think we think, right? Because often when you're doing surveys or self-reporting, you tend to, there's a term for this, I can't remember, but you report in light of what, how you want people to perceive you. Mm. So the only way to get at that is to. Like we do, we take people to a soup kitchen, we give them an experience, and hopefully some of them are going to have a disorienting dilemma, which is what I'm experiencing here does not line up with what I feel could be true, because often those things Thoughts aren't articulated. They're just like an emotional response. Have you had any? um, Do you have any examples of two groups coming together having that discerning dilemma? And then uh, one group thinking, wait a minute, this doesn't line up.
1: Yeah, I I had one a couple of years ago. It was uh, during Ramadan. I work at a university um, with a campus security department, and uh, it was just after there were some really ugly instances of Islamophobia. and anti-Muslim violence around the world. Not not here in Halifax, particularly, but around the world. It was reverberating and having an impact here locally. So it's on and the news uh, and
0: people are seeing it's it. It's on yeah. the
1: news, it's in social media, people's families, the, the community is connected in, in in ways that folks were hyper-vigilant about any get-togethers of uh, any groups of folks getting together. And so it was coming up to Ramadan on on campus. And one of the folks that I work with, he, he had the opportunity, He he's a Muslim security officer, and he was praying with some of the students. They got to talking about how they would feel comfortable if we were had a presence there at Ramadan so that they could feel safe while they prayed. There was going the to be security a security team, would of be there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So could the security team is a bit of a weird request, but could the security team come be there mm-hmm. so that the students felt safe to pray? And so we thought about it and yeah, well, of course we, we could do that. We would do that, but we wanted to help join the celebration. So it was more than just about, could we stand at the door and make sure no one got in to hurt people? Right. Although that was the ask. Right. In the very beginning, right. as we started to think about how we might show up as part of a community differently, we organized and were able to bring food and, and the word got out that this would be a safe space. Okay. So people started to say, Hey, we should come have, uh, uh, we should come have an iftar, uh, a breaking fast meal, uh, here with us on campus because it's going to be safe. And we expected like maybe 30, 40, 50 people would show All up students? because that had, yeah. All yeah, yeah. we, we assumed that it was going to be all students. When word got out, we had like three to 400 people show up. Yeah. They were from the community. They had their kids. They had grandmas, grandpas, like the community came out because they heard that this would be a safe space. Oh my goodness. But that wasn't even the shift. The shift was that I think for my team who was, who initially was tasked to stand at the doors yeah. were then invited in to eat were invited not just to stand at the doors to keep safe but to become part of community mm-hmm. sit to sit at the table to eat to uh, engage with and it really shifted as a community what we can do and how we connect with each other mm-hmm. what started with feeling like a very other situation by the end of the night people were eating together and when it ended everyone just grabbed a chair and cleaned up and there was security was sweeping the floors and putting away tables and every Everyone was doing their part yeah, and it actually cool. just felt like cleaning yeah. up. Yeah. It, w- it was a really cool shift for what it meant for my team as well.
0: See, that's it. I, we talk about, um, in employee, volunteering, corporate citizenship, helping is so important and it's hardwired in and human beings want to help other people. Typically your in group is the go-to group, but the real value can be moving beyond helping the other to mm-hmm. find a place of belonging where we, bear together the burden of the issues that our community face and work together as equals to come up with solutions. Belonging is helping, but so much better. And it's, it really sounds like that was a step. Now that was just one experience. So what was the stickiness of that experience in your mind?
1: So for us, I think that that moment It was that unconscious incompetence was to think that the only thing that we could do to be safe was to stand at the door. Okay. It it was task significance. If I stand here and I keep the bad guy out. Which makes sense, obviously. Right. We didn't actually have a threat. We weren't responding to a threat. And so the invite to come in, to step away from the post, step away from the front door to actually sit at the table was a shift. Not everyone was comfortable with it. So it took a few folks actually going to do it first. A few people sit down. And so it was kind of, you would see one guy saying, what, food? Yeah, sure, I'm in. <laughs> and he's in the food line. And meanwhile, a couple others are standing on yeah. the wall going, well, I'll watch and make sure. Or I'll just keep an eye. By the end of it, it took some time. But people started to move into that place of, well, maybe this is okay. Yeah, that's. Right? So yeah, it was kind of cool. That is pretty cool. Okay. Okay. So this brings us full
0: circle. And I think the interesting opportunity here is not to ditch diversity in training. I am fascinated by the insights that you can gain from this material and from the tests that you can take online and raising awareness. I just think companies have an incredible opportunity to couple that training with real world experiences so people can move through the unconscious incompetent to conscious incompetent and so on and so forth and understanding it's a cycle it's not a destination but with employee volunteering programs giving programs companies really have an incredible opportunity to shift even the national mood and perspective and understanding on a lot of these issues in a very help the community kind of way. Like it's really good, practical, experiential learning that can be had here. Absolutely. So outwardly, I think
1: it looks the same. Like I don't think anyone has to throw away and say, anyone listening would say, oh my God, we're doing it wrong. Right. Keep doing it. This is about an approach and the underpinnings of the program. So helps understand what's happening in the background but if you've got planned to go to the soup kitchen you should still go to yep. the soup kitchen you should still do that and and stay engaged with your program but understanding that as you engage in the program and invite people out you're inviting them out to more than an event mm-hmm. you're That's inviting good. them out when it's done to some hardwiring yeah. some uh, some tinkering and I I think what we want to do is let people know it. We don't want to be subversive no, about that's it. That's it. Like let people know yes. that we're this is the journey. Yes. This is. You will be, and this is, I think, the value of the brief and the debrief because you have the event, but you also frame it up for people. Yeah. Here's what you will experience. You're describing the stimuli before it happens. It's it's the required reading before you come to class. You come to class, you take notes. Yep. You, you you get out of the class, the notes help you focus on what the prof is saying. But before you leave, before the exam, you go back to your notes. And so this is constant revisiting of information and. It is helpful to have a guide and have facilitators at a brief or a debrief to help you make sense yeah, of it.
0: I, yeah, because you can feel ashamed, embarrassed. You want to check yeah. out the, that fatigue could set in that we talked about earlier. I think it's a lot like when people walk up in line. It, the best thing about this is volunteering is voluntary, it needs to be voluntary because implicit yeah. bias only works when it's voluntary. So those two things couple together. People feel like they're being made to change their mind, the stereotypes sh- strengthen the bias becomes aggressive but you do want to let people know hey this is not the bus this is a roller coaster so you're going to expect a quick drop here i mean giving people a heads up i think that's a really important thing and i'm so used to it i tend to not even think to mention that so i'm really glad you did that's good cool well this has been fun yeah thanks i i really appreciate that that model uh i'm going to start trying to use that more because i think that's very insightful is there a name
1: for that model. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll refer to it in the show notes, but it's that uh, conscious competence model. Um, but we'll we'll I'll, I'll I'll drop a link. Yep.
0: And as usual, thanks for joining us for this conversation, everyone.
1: This podcast is brought to you by the RW Institute, produced by Daniel Parker, recorded remotely in Los Angeles from Baltimore, Maryland and Halifax, Nova Scotia. Be sure to subscribe so you can keep up with the conversation. Care to react? Submit your comments at rw.institute or on the comment feature where you're listening now.